Lord God, we do come to you humbly asking you to help us, Lord, to understand your word. Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is here for that purpose. And uh, Lord, I just pray that I don't uh, make mistakes, Lord, as, uh, as I do my best with your help, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I chose today's... I chose today's gospel reading because it's Trinity Sunday, and that is one of the few uh, passages in the Bible that mentions all three persons of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the passage raises a few questions that I would like to go over today. One is the one that John the Baptist raised with Jesus. Why did Jesus uh, go to John to be baptized? And another, why did the Holy Spirit descend and rest upon Jesus at his baptism? I'd like to address those questions and look to how they relate to us today. So let's begin with the first one. Why did Jesus go to John to be baptized? John the Baptist, of course, was sent by God. And his ministry had the godly purpose of preparing the way of the Lord. How did it do that? Well, John's message exposed the sin in people's hearts that needed to be dealt with. Sin is a problem. It separates us from God and his purposes for us. And it also blinds us to righteousness. Sin has to be dealt with. Sin isn't fixed or healed when it is exposed, but its exposure gives the sinner an opportunity to admit guilt and to repent of the sin, seeking mercy in forgiveness. And true humble repentance changes one's behavior in the future. But before that can happen, the first work is revelation and conviction of sin. The enlightenment that sin has harmful consequences for the sinner and and the victim, and sometimes, as with self-sin, they are one and the same. John's preaching and baptism was mainly for conviction of sin toward repentance. As I said, sin blinds the sinner to righteousness if not repented of, uh, mainly because the sinner's only alternative to to repentance when when he's convicted is, is to reject that and to justify the sin in his own heart or in his own eyes. The sinner, the sinner justifies him or herself in their own eyes, putting themselves then as judge above God. And if that continues on, that sears the conscience. It makes people blinder and blinder to righteousness. And that is why conviction of sin and repentance are necessary in order to see right. And to see the only righteous one who is Jesus. Conviction of sin and repentance were necessary to prepare the way of the Lord into people's hearts. Humble repentance was and is that way of preparation. But that doesn't answer our question, of course. Why did Jesus come to John to be baptized? Jesus himself, of course, was perfect. He had no sin to repent of. He was the epitome of righteousness. He knew all truth. He knew God the Father. And he was God the Son who was sent by the Father. So why was he baptized? 
Jesus' baptism by John was not a baptism of repentance, but was a baptism of identification. It was a deliberate identifying with humanity, with our nature and our sin. Philippians 2, 6 to 8 says, Christ Jesus being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. And you know, he became obedient not only in baptism, as Paul says, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That was the Father's will. And Jesus' act in baptism was the beginning of the fulfillment of that mission. It was an act of humility, a taking on and vicariously repenting of our sins. And it was an identifying with his Father and his will as well. That is why Jesus was baptized. And that act of his pleased his Father in heaven. That's what his Father sent him into the world for. Baptism was part of Jesus' mission. Jesus in his baptism was affirming his acceptance of that mission. Jesus' baptism also helped reveal to the world who he was. In John 1, 32 to 34, John the Baptist said, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So John the Baptist witnessed the Spirit of God descending like a dove and landing and resting upon Jesus. And he heard a voice from heaven say, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. What a revelation that was happening at that time. And we see in that that John was right in yielding to Jesus and baptizing him, even though it made no sense to John being inferior to Jesus. It was true. Jesus didn't need John's baptism for repentance, but Jesus did need to fulfill the Father's will and mission. So Jesus overruled John's objection, saying, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus' identification with the world and with the Father was necessary. He was the mediator. And again, Jesus' baptism by John was not a baptism for repentance, but a baptism of identification and revelation. Identification with humanity and revelation of who Jesus was and is, God's Son. But it was only a revelation to those who repented, to those who had recognized their sin and been enlightened to the need of God's forgiveness and God's salvation. Their conviction and repentance of sin gave them sight to see right from wrong and to see Jesus as the only righteous one. The Pharisees who didn't repent were still blind, blind to Jesus. Luke 7.30 
In Luke 7.30, Jesus tells the Pharisees and lawyers that, um, sorry, Luke 7.30 tells us the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by John. And still, even with the others, it's not likely that any of those who were baptized by John immediately knew all the implications of Jesus being God's son, namely that Jesus had been conceived by the Holy Spirit. That would come with time, of course, and more revelation. And that raises the other question that I had for today of why it was necessary that the Holy Spirit descended from heaven to rest upon Jesus if he was already conceived of the Holy Spirit. What was happening with that in our gospel passage? I want to read it again today. Let's read it. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. Again, we know from scripture that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Matthew 1.20 tells us that. Luke 1.35 also tells us that. Jesus was therefore already holy. He already had God's nature, God's state of being. Jesus was an uncreated spirit. He was God as well as a human being. He was spirit as God is spirit even as Jesus himself said in John 4. And Jesus also had a human nature from Mary, grafted into his divine nature. So as Jesus Christ had God's nature, which is a triune nature, that means that Jesus already had the Holy Spirit, his being being one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. How then was it that the Spirit of God descended upon Jesus in his, at his baptism? Well, if you think of Jesus' baptism as an act of willingly and publicly accepting God the Father's mission as mediator, identifying himself with God and humanity to take on our sins in order to destroy sin and set us free, to be reunited with God, then the Holy Spirit coming upon him can be understood as a public anointing of heavenly power and authority to do his work on earth. Again, that is what his father sent him to do. And Jesus affirmed his acceptance of that heavenly mission in his being baptized by John. But now I want to go back again and look at John the Baptist's work once more. His preaching and his baptism were to prepare the way for Jesus to come into people's hearts. It was so that they would know their sin and repent of their sin and recognize Jesus when he was revealed as sent from God with God's righteousness for God's salvation of themselves. John's message, as we heard it read, was quite damning. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. 
John was saying to the people that in their present state, they were useless to God for anything except destruction. And therefore, they needed to repent or be destroyed because the fruit that God had intended for them to produce, righteousness, was lacking. And worse than that, they were producing sin, the opposite of righteousness. But John's message was also hopeful because he said that Jesus, the Lamb, was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he was arriving on the scene. And Jesus came and died and he rose again and ascended. He fulfilled his mission. But I want you to consider what happened also to Jesus' disciples after they saw Jesus resurrected. In the Gospel of John, it says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He told them if they forgive anyone's sins, they would be forgiven, much like Jesus did before he died and rose again. And why not? Because Jesus did say, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to my Father, John 14, 12. In Luke, when his disciples saw Jesus alive again, there was also evidence of the Holy Spirit working in their minds even before Pentecost, as their minds were opened to understand the scripture like they had not understood it before. Luke 24, 45. So we can ask a similar why with them, considering the Holy Spirit being poured out upon them at Pentecost, as we did with the Holy Spirit coming down upon Jesus at his baptism. What happened with the Holy Spirit and, and why was it different than what they had received already after Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit? And we can come to a similar answer. They were being anointed by Jesus and sent on his mission. They needed power and authority from God to go out and preach the gospel. And they got it, and they got it publicly as well. And though conviction of sins and repentance happened, when the disciples preached afterward, the baptism that the new converts received was not the baptism of repentance that John did. What was it? It was a baptism of identification with Jesus. Sure, they repented, but now they went on. An identification with Jesus says death and his resurrected life. Now, John the Baptist, of course, was beheaded in prison before Jesus was crucified, and Jesus deliberately sacrificed his own life on the cross for all sins, therefore destroying the power of sin over all who turn to him for salvation, thus fulfilling his mission. But still today, there must be a drawing of God and the conviction of sin and a repenting before anyone 
can turn to Jesus for salvation. So who has John's message of God's judgment and doom for sinners today? We see in what Jesus said in John 16, 8 to 15, that the Holy Spirit was to do what God did through John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus later on. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's his job today. Of sin, not solely because of our unrighteous acts, but also because they do not believe in Jesus. Of righteousness, because Jesus would go to his Father and they would see him no more. In other words, when Jesus walked on this earth, he was the standard of righteousness. But now he was gone. Of judgment or doom, because the ruler of this world is judged. So those who follow the ruler of this world will also be judged as well. And so we have to ask, as Christ's followers today, why does it seem that that is not happening like it was when John the Baptist was preaching and preparing the way for Jesus? Or why is it not happening in the way when the whole, uh, that, that it happened with the disciples of Jesus when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them in Acts at Pentecost? Why is it not happening that much today? Why are so few convicted of sin? Is, is it something with us? Are we, his disciples, not willing to do our part? Does the Holy Spirit need a mouthpiece to speak to the world in that way, like he did back in John's time and through his disciples? It seems so. We can also ask why the Church of Christ sometimes seems so unholy. Why are the statistics of sin nearly as bad in the church as they are in the world? So that the world sees so little difference in us than in them. Why does no one see that judgment and doom are imminent? It can't be the fault of God. So what is missing must be in us. Now let's go back to Jesus, the Son of God, as he walked this earth. Again, he was holy himself and needed nothing. But he had a mission to fulfill of which his baptism, his identifying with the world and taking on all of its sins was necessary before he died for the sin of the world. And Jesus didn't need more of the Holy Spirit to live. He had the Holy Spirit in himself. John 5, 26. He was and is one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. So what Jesus needed was the Holy Spirit's anointing or mantle upon him, identifying him as the Son of Man and the Son of God for all the world to see in order for him to fulfill his mission as sent by God the Father to die for our sins. He needed the Holy Spirit to be leading his humanity to a place that no man could go otherwise. 
And we who put our trust in Jesus, we too have the Holy Spirit. Are we sent by Jesus just as, his, as, just as, he, descent, just as he sent his disciples? And if so, what is wrong? Why do we look so similar to the world sometimes and so little like Jesus' disciples after Pentecost? Where is our anointing? Where is our divine authority? Because Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that is by his Holy Spirit that he is with us. When we look at Romans 8, 12 to 17, we see that there is something for us as followers to do. It says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, meaning the deeds that are not of God, then you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the Son of God, sons of God. What we need today is to be led by the Spirit of God. We need to repent and to ask again for his anointing to fulfill the mission that he has given us from heaven. His Spirit is still here, just as it was with his disciples. But we need to humble ourselves and repent of our sins and ask again for his anointing. Let's pray. Lord, again, we come as your feeble church, Lord. But by your word, Lord, we have all authority, Lord. And we, we are totally weak within ourselves to do anything. We cannot, just as your disciples could do nothing without your spirit, we can do nothing without your spirit. We cannot understand your word. We cannot preach to unbelievers. And they cannot, Lord, even understand without your spirit. We are so dependent on your spirit. And so often it seems like we, we want to depend on ourselves. We don't want to be fully dependent on you. But we are, Lord, and help us to accept that. Help us to accept that every day as we begin our day, as we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, knowing that you have to breathe your inspiration into us every, every moment of the day. Help us to yield to you. Help us to put to death by your spirit the deeds of the flesh. Lord, help us to know how to do this and how to yield to you. In Jesus' name, amen.